<clears throat> okay, so uh, I'm going to pose a question. When was the last time you stopped to think deeply about the Holy Spirit? We seem to discuss much of God the Father, especially when we discuss sections of the Old Testament. And often our worship or our prayers, at least in our minds, are directed to God the Father. But then again, as a Reformed community, we are also very Christ-centered. We speak much about the cross and salvation that we've received through Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And we understand that in order for us to even be accepted by the first person of the Trinity, the Father, it must be through the Son. But what about the Holy Spirit? It has often been said that the Holy Spirit is at times considered the forgotten person of the Trinity, at least in many of today's churches. Should we be worried about that? Well, the good news is that even though the Holy Spirit is God and should be worshipped as God, taught of and spoken of and also well understood, we actually learn from the, script, the scriptures that even the Holy Spirit himself is Christ-centered and points you to uh, another, person of the Trinity, another person of the Trinity instead of himself. Therefore, no need to worry if you are Christ-centered. Judging by the distinct character of the Holy Spirit, this might actually be a good sign that the Holy Spirit is indeed present among us. So ironically, it's those congregations that attempt to overemphasize the Holy Spirit, overlooking the other persons of the Trinity that end up misunderstanding the Holy Spirit, falsely representing him, and often miss the point on what the Holy Spirit is set out to do within the church. Churches that honor the Father by centering themselves on the Son are usually churches that are truly being led by the Holy Spirit. You see that Trinitarian concept there? Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is still God. And woe to us if we overlook that and not give him due praise. The same regard is to be had of him in faith, worship, and obedience as unto the Father and the Son. So, with that said, I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit and his work in a church community. We have now entered the second half of the series that we're in, right? Uh, in this half, we'll be teaching... Uh, or, or having our teachings based on uh, being a people who are needed. Um, last couple of lessons, we were talking about being needy and how we need the body and we need help uh, both from God and his people. But now we're going to talk about being needed, uh, God using us as tools to help others grow. So the Holy Spirit is important to understand if we are to understand how God is building his church and using us as his tools. So in today's discussion, if you have the uh, worksheet, you'll see there's two points that I'm going to talk about. Um, and it's going to be about the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to address it in two points. Point number one is the Spirit's inward work in a Christian. And point number two is the Spirit's outward work through a Christian. Okay, so the Spirit's inward work in a Christian and the Spirit's outward work through a Christian. So let's look at point number one. The Spirit's inward work in a Christian. Now, before anything, there is a lot to say about the person of the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about the Spirit's inward work and also the way that we commune with the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want us to know in advance is that the Holy Spirit is a person. 
Okay? He is not a lifeless object or a power, but rather a personal being. Let's look at John 14, 17. Can someone read that verse? Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Thank you. So there you see the personal pronouns, right? The he or him used to refer to, the, refer to the Holy Spirit. Again, there's much more to say about his attributes, like the fact that he is God. But uh, notice another important detail in that same passage. Uh, in the last sentence, Jesus tells his disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus here is speaking about the day of Pentecost, when after Jesus ascends back to heaven, the Holy Spirit would fall on believers and would dwell in them. And we see this all throughout the book of Acts, that all who came to saving faith, the Holy Spirit would live in them as an indwelling spirit. The next verse that I'm, I'm going to show you tells us how the Holy Spirit is obtained to begin with. Uh, it's Galatians 3.14. Does someone read that? Thank you. So uh, here we see that we obtain the indwelling Holy Spirit through faith. And again, that's faith in Jesus Christ. So with that said, how are we to understand our communion with the Holy Spirit, being that he dwells in us? I want to show you eight ways, okay, eight ways in which the Spirit communes with us as Christians. And you'll see that list in your paper. The first one is the Holy Spirit helps the believer remember the words of Christ, and teaches what they mean. You see that in John 14, 26. Can someone read that? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There you go. So in this passage, we see an important part of the Holy Spirit's work, specifically in the lives of the apostles, at least in that time. By the Spirit, the apostles were able to remember Jesus' words and teachings in order for them to record it and for us to have it in our Bibles today. And we can testify to the Spirit's work when we see the unity of all the Gospels and the way that they're written out, um, especially being written separately from all different human authors. And again, this is a truly a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. The fact that he was able to recall these things um, or, or help to bring into remembrance these things which are now recorded in, in the Bible. Now, aside from the Spirit's work back then, um, ask yourself, how has the Holy Spirit worked in your memory today in times when you evangelize or speak to a friend or family member about Christ? Has there ever been a time where the Spirit has brought to remembrance His Word in your mind? Also, uh, how has the Holy Spirit shown you things in His Word that you may not have understood before? This is the same spirit that gives us discernment and allows us to see according to his word uh, when things are not lining up or in step with the gospel. This is the work of the spirit in us. Uh, and uh, since his word is Holy Spirit inspired, he will always lead us back to the scriptures, right? He would always bring us back to his word, which he inspired from the beginning. Again, this is just one of the works of the Holy Spirit. In your worksheet, you see the second one. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. 
The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. Let's look at John 16, 14. Someone read that. Yeah, so uh, this goes back to what I was saying before. Although the Holy Spirit is God, he seems to work in such a way that constantly points to Jesus Christ and him glorified and exalted. First, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ in the heart of the Christian. A believer who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit actually tastes in his soul the goodness of the gospel and all that has been accomplished for him by Jesus Christ. Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, has purchased for us mercy, grace, forgiveness, and acceptance with God, not to mention the inheritance that follows after this life. And this is given to us and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. You see that in that verse. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So all that Jesus Christ has accomplished is now applied by the Holy Spirit to us. Right? So Jesus accomplishes it and the Holy Spirit applies it to us. This is why in this verse it says, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the Holy Spirit does this for the glory of Christ. In a more corporate setting, we see the work of the Spirit when Christ is magnified and exalted. Again, we see he will glorify me. This is the work of the Spirit. We see the work of the Spirit when Christ is magnified and exalted in corporate worship, in corporate gatherings. Um, Holy Spirit preaching is what? Christ-centered preaching. Holy Spirit worship is Christ-centered worship. You know that the Holy Spirit is there. You know that the Holy Spirit is working and moving um, in preaching when it's Christ-centered, in worship when it's Christ-centered. Let's look at the next point. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into the hearts of, of the believers. Let's look at uh, Romans 5, 5. Someone read that. Amen. So there's another act of the Holy Spirit and what it does as it indwells us. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into the hearts of believers. So what does Paul mean when he says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit? Notice in this passage that it is God's love to us and not our love to God that has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit. This means that for our own good, the Holy, the Holy Spirit gives us a sweet and plentiful persuasion of the love of God to our souls. I love the way uh, John Owen describes it in his book, Communion with the Triune God. Uh, he speaks about this topic of the love of God being poured into the hearts of the believers. And he says this, and I quote, This is his work, and he does it effectually. To give a poor sinner, I'm sorry, poor sinful soul, a comfortable persuasion affecting it throughout in all its faculties and affections that God in Jesus Christ loves him, delights in him, is well pleased with him, has thoughts of tenderness and kindness towards him, to give, I say, a soul an overflowing sense hereof is an inexpressible mercy. Uh, that's amazing every time I think about that, that 
God pours his love into the heart of the believer, um, shows him that he loves him, that he delights in him. Is that possible apart from Jesus Christ? Not at all. In fact, uh, we were by nature children of wrath. In other words, by default, we were objects of God's anger. But with the Holy Spirit in us, it confirms in us and it reminds us in a uh, comfortable persuasion, like uh, John Owen would say, that uh, God loves us and he delights in us because of Christ. Um, Again, this is the work of the Spirit. It is those days when you can recognize in your soul that you are at peace with God and your sin has been taken care of by Christ, that the Spirit reminds your soul that because of the cross, God loves you and delights in you. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into your hearts, into the hearts of the believers. So that's an important one when we think about the Holy Spirit um, and His works. Yes, sir. the difference they could say I, I sense it within right you know that God loves me Amen. Um, so how do we know that God really does love them or not and again it goes back to the word is, is what their is their basis for that love and understanding of what the word truly teaches rather than just a subjective Amen. yeah subjective absolutely yeah and, and and that's a good point because you have uh, people who are uh, are not in line with the gospel and are not living in line with the gospel it, and uh, all, all of a sudden want the benefits of, of this love and, and it's, not, it's not aligned with the word. So, very good. Yeah, that's important to remember. Yeah, again, so God loves and delights in you and th- this, uh, this sense is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, again, in line with his word. Point number four. The Holy Spirit witnesses to the believer that he is a child of God. This is an inward act of the Holy Spirit in believers. So here's a verse, Romans eight, fifteen through 16. Someone want to read that? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Is... 16, oh, yeah. Sorry, it's okay. 16, sorry. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. Thank you, Forrest. So be, because we are still in this body, corrupted with sin, we as believers at times have the tendency to forget the gospel and feel that the law of God has crushed us. Sin has won and Satan is rejoicing. And your soul doubts the inheritance. Many stay in this state for years. However, the Holy Spirit who works freely and effectually comes in with his testimony showing us the promises of the word and puts an end to this nonsense within us. Right? If you're truly saved, the Holy Spirit reminds us of this very uh, truth. Um, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And while you are in this journey of the Christian life, the Spirit always proves that God is a faithful Father. If the Lord has adopted you, He also promises to keep you. Let's look at point number five. 
the Holy Spirit seals faith in the believer. Uh, here's a verse. Ephesians 1.13. Someone want to read that? Yes. So notice that the emphasis in what is sealed here, at least in this verse, is not speaking about a destiny being sealed for us, in this verse specifically, but rather a people being sealed. Okay, so although we do believe that a destiny is predetermined and secured for us, what the Holy Spirit does in sealing us is that he places his mark and his image on our souls, making us a people set apart and preserved for the day of redemption. This is similar to what we see in Ezekiel 10, 3, 6, which you'll see here. Someone read that. Thank you. Notice in verse 4, it says, And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on their foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abomination that are committed in it. Keep that in mind when you think about the seal that is placed by the Holy Spirit. Now, not to change subjects, but many Christians, quote-unquote, <laughs> have accused the doctrine of eternal security as being heretical. They would say, how can a person be once saved, always saved? What if they accept Christ and because of this doctrine, they go back to living in sin thinking that once they are saved, they're always saved so it doesn't matter how they live. But the confusion, the confusion of this doctrine is the nature of the seal that we're discussing. The nature of this seal is that we are not only locked for eternity with God, but that His image which includes his holiness and righteousness, is marked on our souls. And by it, we are not only locked for eternity, but we are preserved and guaranteed to be preserved in a life that is holy and set apart as the Spirit carries us this way all the way home. So it's not so much we're going to lock you down and make sure that you get to heaven no matter what, although there is some truth to that. What's actually happening is that when you are sealed with the image, you are uh, locked down in a path of conformity to the image of Christ. So um, what that actually means is those who are sealed are actually those who are further sanctified, those who live holy lives. Um, again, we're not justified by your works. However, um, it does guarantee that there will be a perseverance, and a preservation in holiness and righteousness all the way to the day that Christ calls us home. So again, the Holy Spirit seals faith in the believer. 
number six, point number six. The Holy Spirit assures the believer of salvation. It's another verse. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Can I have someone read that? Thanks, Ron. So, again, we continue with the same verse, uh, but we just added 14. And we see that since we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, verse 14 shows us that we are then guaranteed, uh, not have a possibility, but rather a guarantee, like it says here, that we would obtain our inheritance for the day in which we will eventually acquire possession of it. So, uh, this is a guarantee. Um, and again, this is the aspect of being sealed where God preserves us, but also guarantees that we will obtain this inheritance. We can bank on it. And our God does not lie. This is a promise that the Holy Spirit will bring us all the way to the day in which we acquire possession of this inheritance. What is this inheritance that the scripture talks about? Is it money? Is it, uh, you know, paradise? Well, scripture says that we will inherit eternal life. We'll be part of the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. But best of all, we will obtain perfect fellowship with our God uh, for eternity to the praise of his glory. So we would enjoy God and all that comes with um, his promises. Look at point number seven. The Holy Spirit anoints all believers. Let's look at another verse. 2 Corinthians 1. 20 to 22. Someone read that. So again, the inward work of the Holy Spirit, um, one, of the as- one of the parts of that is that word anointed. You see here, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. What does it mean to be anointed? Well, uh, although anoint uh, literally means to pour oil on the head as a sign of divine calling and empowerment, we see in this passage that God has anointed every believer with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus, has, uh, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit as well. But what does it mean practically to be anointed by the Spirit? Uh, let's look at another verse. Uh, 1 John 2, 26 through 27. Can someone read that? Thank you. Now, when you read this uh, verse or these, this passage, um, apart from the context, it can be confusing um, because it's saying, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. That puts me out of a job. 
Uh, but, <laughs> but is that really what it's saying, that no one should teach you, that the Spirit will just talk to you on your own in your bedroom when you open up your Bible? No, that's not what it, it's saying. It, it may seem as, this, as if this verse is saying that you don't need teachers, but the fact that you are anointed, remember we, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22, that God has anointed us, each and every one of us, the fact that you are anointed means that you can uh, teach yourself. That's not what that's, that verse is saying. Uh, if you look at the context of that passage, John is warning the church of antichrist and false teachers. When you read the whole chapter, um, false teachers, people who are against the, the doctrine of Christ. And what John is saying is that there is no need for... For, for them, the church, to go to outsiders for teaching, since God has revealed his truth to his church, the anointed ones, right? This implies that even though many out there have the Bible, right? They can all comment on the Bible. The anointed have the understanding. Have you ever uh, spoken to someone or, or knew, knew someone who, um, they might have read something from the Bible, but they have no clue what the Bible is saying? They haven't been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. They have it all confused. They have a spirit of rebellion against it. But again, this passage implies that even though many have the Bible, the anointed have the understanding. Those who are believers are able to properly understand um, that which is spiritual, right? The Bible talks about the spirit is what discerns that which is spiritual and the flesh, the flesh. But the anointed, what it means to be anointed, a people of God, um, is that we have the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and the right one according to the scriptures. Um, it's still important to uh, check your understanding with other believers and check your understanding with people who are, who are more studied and more educated in the Bible. However, the uh, knowledge and the wisdom of God has been given to the saints. Okay, point number eight. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of supplication. Let's look at another verse. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Someone read that. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us the groaning to speak or words. And he who searches hearts knows what, it, what the mind of the Spirit is. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Thank you. I'm always encouraged by this passage. Um, it's encouraging to read that as imperfect and weak our prayers can be, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, communicating our prayers to our Heavenly Father and lining them according to the will of God. Isn't that uh, encouraging to hear? Here we can see clearly how the Holy Spirit is truly our comforter or our, our helper, like it says in the scriptures. It is a tremendous act of grace that God would send his spirit to indwell us and allow us to have such communion with God. And this is one of the ways that uh, he, he demonstrates this love and this grace to us, that our Im imperfection, the Holy Spirit fills in the gap and uh, um, makes our prayers presentable to the Lord. When we read this passage and see that it says that the Spirit intercedes for us when we pray, this should imply two things. Number one, that since the Spirit does this for us, 
it should imply that it's, it's our duty to pray. Um, because we have the spirit that would uh, intercede for us, this should imply that, yes, we are to pray. It is our duty. And it should imply another point. Uh, the other point is that this should also um, imply that if the spirit is working to intercede our prayers, it is for the sake of retaining community, uh, a communion with God. Uh, God has done this for the sake of communing with us. Um, he, the Holy Spirit works in that relationship with us and the Father, um, us with God, the, the triune God. And so this is just, an, this is just a, an example of grace that God has for us while we pray and as we pray to the Father. So those are just a few ways in which the Holy Spirit works inwardly in a believer. Now let's take a few minutes to look at point number two. If you have your um, sheet, you'll see point number two is the Spirit's outward work through a Christian. So we talked about the Spirit's inward work in a Christian. Point number two is the Spirit's outward work through a Christian. And this speaks to, uh, again, the topic of being needed, right? We are people called into the body. We are people who God uses as tools for his glory and for building up the church. And so what, 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 is, what is the Spirit's outward work through a Christian? Well, first let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 6 through 7. Someone read that. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. But each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Thank you. So here we see that all of what the Spirit gives in each believer is for the common good. Notice that it says, who empowers them all. All in everyone. Did I switch it? Yes, okay. Who empowers them all in everyone. And notice it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So this is true for every believer. As Christians, we are called to walk alongside others in the faith simply for the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Many of us think that it takes a special kind of Christian to be effective in the lives of others. Yet the Bible shows us that it is a call for all believers. The Spirit works in ordinary people. In other words, the only qualification that you need in order to be used by God is to be an ordinary person. Now some of you are thinking, well, I might not be as ordinary as you think. But the point is that if you are a believer and have the Holy Spirit, you have been called to the body of Christ to be used uh, for the common good. The local church doesn't necessarily need every member to be doctors, to be psychiatrists, to be philosophers and professional counselors in order for them to be able to deal with the issues of the body. Not to say that God can't use professionals, but this is what it means that the Holy Spirit anoints every believer, that God uses ordinary believers to come alongside others in the body and help them with the spiritual needs of the church. One verse that speaks to this, I like, is uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Can someone read that? Things that are not to bring the things, to bring the 
giving the nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There you go. So. Here we, see that, here we see the way that God does things, right, as opposed to the way the world does things and the way the world thinks. In God's economy, God often uses the least likely to do things for his glory. Um, likewise, when you, in your weakness, move towards others to serve them and help them, you honor God. And the Lord can use that in a mighty way. And uh, again, what qualifies you is the Holy Spirit. The fact that you are a Christian, you're called to, uh, you know, serve the church in that way. So conclusion here, think of the many things that we've discussed that the Holy Spirit does inwardly in us as believers. Let that serve as an encouragement when we think about helping others in the body who are in need. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're called to come alongside others in the body. Your service may not look the same. Uh, as the way others serve, but like in 1 Corinthians 12 says, it is from the same Lord. Even something as simple as your attendance and your interaction with others serves the body. Your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, kindness, goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your self-control are all fruit of the Spirit that helps to shape and grow the body until it's built up in love. These things you must not overlook. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you inwardly for the sake of it working outwardly towards others in faith for the common good. And when you doubt your usefulness, remember that we have the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Any questions or any comments? Yes. Amen. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Any other comments? Good. Okay. All right. Let, let me pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for uh, being the God that ordained and elected 
and uh, placed your love on us sinners and uh, you did demonstrated it by sending your son and father we thank your son for the work that he accomplished in his life his death his resurrection and ascension and the fact that he sits on the throne lord as our lord but father lord we thank you also for the spirit whom you sent to dwell in us lord the spirit that unites us to you and your son that assures us of salvation, that encourages us. You are called the helper in the New Testament. And Lord, we, we see um, how this is done, Lord. We see it in scripture. We discussed it briefly. Um, and we know that there's so much more behind your work. And f- uh, for that, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Um, and with that, we pray that as you work inwardly in us, that we would also demonstrate it and put it to use in an outwardly way, Lord, that it would be a blessing to others, Lord, and that we would come alongside other saints in the body um, who need uh, your Spirit's work and the fruit of your Spirit, Lord, in their lives. Uh, we just pray that we would be a blessing in that way, that we would um, feel the call to serve the body in whatever unique way you've uh, uh, allowed us to to be and to work um, within the body of Christ, Lord. So we just thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we pray that um, this would serve as an encouragement and motivation to um, bless the body and bless those um, who need Christ. Lord, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.